Nashville in Tennessee is probably best known for its association with country music. In fact, it's largely known as Music City, or the capital of country music. It has given the likes of Taylor Swift, Lady A, and Kings of Leon their start in the music industry. But beneath the neon lights and picturesque streets lies an abundance of unsolved mysteries. In today's episode, we'll be exploring two disturbing and creepy cold cases from Nashville. Larisha and Wanda Walker. One of Nashville's most mysterious cold cases is that of Larisha Deanna Walker, who went by Deanna, and Wanda Walker, a mother and daughter who vanished 17 years apart, never to be seen or heard from again. On November 19th of 1999, 23-year-old mother of one, Deanna Walker, dropped her two-year-old son, Raven, off with her sister, Lakeisha Chambers, Lakeisha stayed in the 900 block of Gale Street and would be babysitting Raven that night. Deanna said that in the morning, she would drive her car to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, some 35 miles away to get a repair estimate for the car. Between 9.30 and 10 p.m., Deanna called her father and the pair chatted casually. Although it's clear that the 23-year-old arrived home safe that night, It is unknown what exactly her movements were outside of this phone call. Later that night, a neighbor reported that they'd heard Deanna arguing with someone outside of her home. After that, nobody heard from or saw her again. The next day, Deanna failed to pick up her son and didn't check in with the family and friends all day. And so Lakeisha went to visit her sister's home in the 3800 block of Edwards Avenue. Deanna had actually only been living there for about one month. The lights were on and there was music playing loudly. In a later interview with News Channel 5, Lakeisha said, everything looked in place. It looked as if two people had been sitting on the bed. So we feel whatever happened to her, it had to be someone she knew. Unsure of what to make of the situation, Lakeisha turned down the music and returned home. The following day, when the family continued to be met with silence, They called the police to report Deanna's vanishing. The clothes Deanna had been last seen in were found in her home, suggesting, as suspected, that she had gone home and gotten changed, and that something had happened later in the night, likely after her phone call with her father, and around the time the neighbor heard her yelling. Strangely, Deanna's car was missing from its parking spot at the back of the building, and has never been located. The maroon 1995 Oldsmobile had the Tennessee license plate 419ABG and a long distinctive scratch on the driver's side. There is some conflicting information about Deanna's employment at the time of her disappearance. Some sources, including the Charlie Project, have stated that she was working at the Peterbilt Motors Company in Nashville, a job she had found through a temporary agency. Others have noted that she was actually working in the fast food industry. Friends and family have described her as a responsible woman who was very private and very protective of her son. 
They do not believe that Deanna left her son behind willingly and noted that she hadn't talked about any issues she was having at work or with any ex-boyfriends or friends. Although it has never been clarified, it doesn't appear that Deanna was in communication with her son's father as, after she went missing, Raven was cared for by her family rather than his father's. Unfortunately, media coverage of Deanna's case quickly died out. Authorities have stated their belief that the 23-year-old was abducted from her home. Online sleuths have suggested that perhaps she was put into her own trunk by gunpoint or forced to drive somewhere, thus explaining why her car is still missing. Others have asked the question, why did Deanna want to drive 35 miles just to get a quote from a garage? There were plenty of garages in the area, yet she wanted to take the hour-long round trip. Did she trust a specific worker or garage, or was she going to Murfreesboro with other intentions? Her family noted that she was a private person. Perhaps she'd met a new friend or partner and wanted to meet them without explaining anything to her family. Many have wondered where Deanna's car went, but the possibilities on this road seem endless. It could have been taken apart in a chop shop, sold out of the state, given a fresh paint job and license plates, dumped in a body of water, or even abandoned somewhere and simply left to rot. In Deanna's case, there are far more questions and possibilities than there are answers and evidence. 17 years later, on October 5th of 2016, Deanna's mother, 60-year-old Wanda Faye Walker, was last seen by the family leaving the home she shared with her cousin in the 1400 block of 11th Avenue South. Wanda had a shift at the Dollar Tree store on Franklin Pike that day, but unfortunately on her way there, her car overheated and she broke down on the side of the road. Luckily, Wanda managed to contact her boyfriend who came to help get her car up and running again. He met her and put oil in the car and it started However, after this, Wanda never arrived at work and was never seen or heard from again. One week later, on October 13th, Wanda's Nissan Maxima was found abandoned in an alley outside of a residence in the 1000 block of Wade Avenue. Locals told authorities that the vehicle had been sitting there for about a week, but that they hadn't seen Wanda. Her handbag was located in the car, along with law enforcement's most grisly discovery in this particular case. There was blood in the back seat. There is some conflicting information about how much blood was found. According to some sources, only trace amounts were present, but according to the Charlie Project, there was a significant amount, enough that it led authorities to believe that Wanda was likely dead already. Testing carried out on the blood proved that it belonged to the 60-year-old woman. According to Reddit user Blaze in the Dark, Wanda's boyfriend was actually a man with a violent history. Reportedly, he served time for attempting to kill one of his girlfriends in the early 2000s. There is very little reported about the man in most articles, and it is unclear as to whether or not he's ever been considered a serious suspect or person of interest by authorities. Most armchair detectives suspect that he was involved with her sudden disappearance. Many have speculated that the couple got into a row when he went to help her with her car, and she was killed in a fit of rage, or perhaps just knocked unconscious before her body was placed in the car, dumped somewhere, and the car was abandoned. 
However, this is all just speculation. There is very little in the way of physical evidence in this case. Authorities do not believe there is a connection between the disappearances of Larisha Deanna Walker and Wanda Walker. Deanna's son, Raven, told WKRN News about how his family had told him how much she loved and cared for him. He said, They said when she had me, I was all she really cared about. I was her everything. He also added, I just want to have my granny back, and I want to see my mama again. I just try to keep my head up. If Wanda is still alive, she will be 64 years old, and if Deanna is still alive, she will be 45. If you have any information about the disappearance of Wanda Walker or Deanna Walker, you can call the Nashville Metro PD at 615-862-8600, or alternatively, you can contact Crime Stoppers at 615-742-7463. Dorothy Distelhurst. Dorothy Ann Distelhurst was born on January 13th of 1928 to parents Alfred Edgar Distelhurst and his wife, Ruby Hamilton. The couple had another girl together, Martha Jane, and Alfred also had a son from a previous marriage named Alfred Jr. Dorothy was a member of the Belmont Methodist Church and enjoyed attending Sunday school. She was described as a popular, well-liked girl with many friends. The family were described as having a modest income. Alfred worked at a publishing house. As a result, they seemed like the least likely family to be targeted by ransomers. But that is exactly what happened in September of 1934. On September 19th, six-year-old Dorothy was making her way home from kindergarten. She was just three blocks between her school and her house in East Nashville, and she often made this trip alone with no problems. This day, however, was different. At home, her parents waited for their girl to come through the door, dressed in her blue and white plaid dress and clutching her pink lunch pail and school books. But this never happened. Dorothy never came home. Dorothy's parents were quick to raise the alarm. Local law enforcement launched an extensive search into the missing six-year-old, checking at the school and nearby parks for any sign of her. Friends and teachers hadn't seen her. There simply was no trace. It was as if she'd vanished into thin air. The media scrambled to get the word out about the sudden disappearance of this beloved little girl, but it only served to make the situation worse as Alfred and Ruby were suddenly flooded with ransom letters, all of which the police deemed to be false. One letter in particular chilled the parents. It demanded the equivalent of about $100,000 in exchange for the safe return of Dorothy. If they didn't comply, the letter writer said they'd burn Dorothy's eyes with acid. At one point, a man who demanded $5,000 was arrested and charged with extortion. The man didn't have Dorothy. In fact, he'd never set foot in Nashville. Alfred worked tirelessly to try and establish communication with the ransomer, even flying to his native New York to do so, but his efforts proved fruitless. He'd been in the middle of one of these attempts, when he received the worst news. On November 13th, just months following Dorothy's vanishing, her body was found by two hospital employees who were digging flower beds in a remote corner of the grounds of Davidson County Tuberculosis Hospital. They discovered the shallow grave 
and the unclothed body of a child beneath the dirt. Just 20 feet away, Dorothy's clothing, books, and lunchbox were found. Dental records confirmed this was the missing Dorothy. As her family grieved, the medical examiner got to work. Dorothy had suffered a crushed skull and her face had been burned with acid. This was possibly an attempt to obscure her identity. It was determined that a hammer was likely the murder weapon as she'd suffered multiple blows to the head. A rag was found stuffed in her mouth. The medical examiner also found that Dorothy's remains had possibly been stored in a cardboard box for several weeks before she was buried. There were no signs of sexual assault. One newspaper clipping from the time, which reported on the discovery, ends with the words, police believe the little girl was murdered by a friend. However, we have never found any clarification on this statement. Did authorities suspect a friend of the family or perhaps a babysitter? Did she have any older friends that were capable of delivering such blows? Once more, Dorothy's case is one with few answers, but infinite questions. Following the discovery of her body, federal agents and state investigators joined local law enforcement in a desperate hunt to find the perpetrator. Several people were questioned, but no one was ever charged with the crime. Reportedly, A week after Dorothy's body was recovered, a teenage boy found an iron spike 25 feet from where she'd been lying. Strands of hair were stuck to it, and it was possibly the murder weapon, although this was never established. There are many theories in Dorothy's case. Some online sleuths believe that the little girl was already dead when the ransomer wrote their letter. Others have suggested that maybe this was a case of mistaken identity. Perhaps Dorothy was thought to have been from a well-off family, someone who could easily pay a ransom. It's also been speculated that maybe the culprit was a teenager. Just four years after Dorothy's demise, a 12-year-old girl named Marianne Ellis was kidnapped and killed less than half a mile from the Distelhurst home. Three local teenagers were arrested and convicted for the tragic crime. According to one blog post on the case, a local private investigator believed Dorothy had been accidentally struck by a car and the driver had panicked and tried to cover it up. Meanwhile, authorities theorized that it was somebody local who knew the area well, given the odd choice of the burial location. Other than that, however, they appear to have come up with no motives and no clues. Dorothy's killer has never been identified. Dorothy was laid to rest at Woodlawn Cemetery on November 16th of 1934. However, her death wasn't the last time tragedy struck the family. Alfred Jr. was killed just nine years later during World War II. He was 26 years old. Ultimately, Alfred and Ruby retired to Virginia, where Alfred passed away in the 1970s. After this, Ruby returned to Tennessee, where she lived the rest of her days before passing away in 1985. And there you have the facts. Please leave a comment down below with your own theories and speculations. And remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. You can also support the show on Patreon for access to behind the scenes content and early access to all of our full length documentaries. Thank you for watching. Stay alert, stay safe, and I'll see you next time.